And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 236 of PNR's This Old Marketing. Recorded in the highly antsy, but still quarantined world, May 14th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the only guy in the world without Zoom fatigue, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. I'm one year older. And <laughs> well, that's that mathematically, that is correct. I know that a lot. Yeah, a lot of people like are. to skip years. I just like to go year to year, and that's the way good. it goes. No, that's it was good. That's, it, that's it was great. But you got to remember, I, I mean, I was born on Mother's Day, and this year we celebrated my birthday on Mother's Day, and uh, so basically, my birthday doesn't matter in the years where it's on Mother's Day. I, I mean, I've been told well, this by many sources. I see. I see. You take second fiddle, as it were. <laughs> I mean, you are literally the, it is literally Mother's Day for you, your birthday, but you know, you, you don't, you don't get to celebrate it. Is this the, is this the, oh, that, this yeah, the we, we, we celebrate it. Sure. I mean, there were, there were gifts and cards and, and, and it was not my day. <laughs> Right? Does that do you right. do you get what I'm saying I, here? I do get what you're saying. I'm not I saying, absolutely I'm trying, I'm get what you're saying. not going into detail on it. No, no, no. It's it's probably best you don't. Yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's for all involved, quite frankly. But I it's fun. I always talk to my mom and when it does, you know, when my birthday does fall on Mother's Day, I always say, "It it's the greatest day ever. It's your day. It's my day. Remember that day, mom." Oops. This. <laughs> So nice of you to have me, Mr. Hand. If you're here and I'm here, isn't it our day? It's our. That's right. It's our day. So yeah, we had a good time. It was uh, some. What's you know? What's really to get sentimental about it a little bit? What's really nice is I get cards from my sons who are now 17 and 18 that are detailed, well thought out, and a little bit emotional. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I can imagine. I well, and they're both incredibly smart and talented as well. So the fact that you're not getting just you know any writing, you're getting good you know writing from them too. Getting a little yeah, a little 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 sarcasm in there, a little but but generally because they're my sons, <laughs> well, of course. They that's good writing, yes. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know they're they're gonna bring they're gonna bring the snark, you know, just like their old man. But but I told you before the call the. Yeah, we've been we've been we've been talking about this for a while because they've been telling me, Dad, you need to get a new computer, which I do. I have a laptop that's probably four or five years old now. It's stuffed with all kinds of viruses. I really need to do something about it. And they've been trying to convince me to get a new computer. And I finally said a couple months ago, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to a new computer. I'll start searching for, you know, a new PC because I'm not a Mac guy. I'm a PC guy. And they said, you will not. It's like you, we're we're gonna have to build one. It's like you can't just buy one off the shelf. It's almost like they were saying it was sacrilegious. It's like we gotta build one. I'm like, okay. Sure. I was like, oh, yeah. so here's what I would like for my birthday. I gave him a budget and I said, get all the stuff. Like, tell me what to buy. And then I'll get it shipped in and then we can put it together. So they did that. They handed it. What's your budget? Uh it was I was trying to keep it under a thousand dollars. 
I, you're going to get an ass kicking computer for a thousand bucks. I mean, they're going to be able to put together something amazing. Well, that's what, you know, because I spent about a thousand bucks for the one that I have. And I did oh, not. But, they, but they're going to, yeah, but they're going to be able to, because, you know, I mean, you, you paid retail markup. Yeah. You paid manufacturer markup. You paid, you know, brand markup. You paid all kinds of stuff for that. They're going to go and assemble something for you that is. I mean, just outrageous. Well, that's right? what I'm I learning. Mean, yeah, yeah. we're talking about it, and as I'm ordering things, there's some things, by the way, there's there's a run on all these products, by the way. There's oh, hardly yeah, anything's hard available yeah. right now. Exactly. Anything with chips and memory and... Or cameras. Cameras, or, oh my God, yeah, everything's out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But basically, they were so excited, because I was, I was thinking $1,000 might not be enough, and they were like, oh my God, we're going to make this thing fly. I mean, this is... Yeah. <laughs> This is great. Are they gonna Are they gonna put a cool uh, case on it as well, and like make it like a super like they could do like a Star Wars thing, or they could do a, a yeah, that kind of thing, or now, are they just gonna yeah. put it into a box? Now I said there were three things that I said that they could not do. First of all, I said <laughs> I said they wanted to buy this cool mouse, and I said I have a mouse that works just fine. Yeah, they, they wanted they, the they gamer were, mouse. For they you. were yeah, they were yeah. very upset about that. The second one is they wanted to construct their own keyboard and i think that what they wanted to do is actually have the the letters shipped in separately and they would put it on a board and uh, this is a thing which i didn't know was a thing like you actually made a keyboard yeah and i said uh, yeah. i have i said we have 17 keyboards in this house one of them's going to work for me <laughs> so that right. and then the the it, this is you know both my sons built their own computers so both of those these things light up and do all co- sorts of funky stuff and i said exactly i, I yeah i said i just want a box yeah. and they were very distraught about this because look is very important it is it's absolutely important dude i mean you have to get something cool that look you tell them that basically yeah mr robert says you got to get a cool you got to get a cool box <laughs> And if that takes them over budget, I will pay for the box. Oh, no, I will pay no, for the no. cool box. You, it, yeah, because you've got to have a cool box. You've got to have a cool case. But those, that, I, well, yeah. here's the other thing, too. This is if when, you do like the 1997 version of a gateway beige box, I will be very, very disappointed in that. <laughs> well, no, we have a box. It's, our, it's very serviceable. <laughs> it's going to be just fine. I don't okay. need anything all right. fancy. I what I told her, I said I want the inside of it. I want all the memory stuff and the RAM, and I want that to be, you know, five stars. I don't care what it looks like. So they weren't happy about that. Same as you, they wanted yeah. to they wanted to have wings and stuff like that. Exactly with lights up or and yeah, got, lights. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, my, my gosh, son, yeah, my my youngest son's his lights up. It can make any color you want to, and yeah, exactly. There's of, a whole yeah. program for it. It can be it, you can do it from afar. It's yeah, it's yeah. yeah. So that'll be, yeah. but that'll be a fun father son. So it's already that's coming a fantastic in. project. Yeah. The the big problem is is that as you know, finding availability. One second shipping, it's yes, crazy. Exactly. You got delays oh, on I'm, shipping. Oh, I'm I'm dealing with it in spades here. You know, so like so many others that are in my space. You know, we're we're you know, and I know you're dealing with this too. You know, we're we're all assembling. You know, we're turning our little offices into TV studios and audio studios because of all of the things that we're doing. And it's hard to keep up with the Joneses here, right? You know, you got ring lights, you got cameras, you got microphones, you got, you know, floor lights, you got, you know, I got an AV guy now who lives in my, you know, my bread box. I got, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing now. 
<laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like, I can't believe how much I've had to learn about video switching and, and, you know, and go back to my, you know, I'm pulling off books, you know, that I learned when I was a musician, a studio musician, you know, to, about acoustics and uh, it's, 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 it's driving me nuts. Well, I'll tell you what, you're going to see, and you're already seeing it, but you, you're going to see some major innovation happen in the virtual presentation Absolutely. space. Because, and I'm not, I've, I've never, you've been way, especially with your musical background, you've been so far ahead of me on this stuff, especially from the technology standpoint. But I've realized being on so many calls and webinars, and of course, we've got, you know, got some keynotes in the fall that I'm going to gonna have to do virtually now. I've got to step up my game, right? So yeah. the first thing, and you already noticed that with some of the pictures, I've got the whole background set. I've got my books in the background. I got my you know, John Wink Wink uh, Funko doll. I got you know my Star Wars figure. All the things I want. My little comfort setup set right. from my background. So it's all looking good. But now I you know I've got to get the technology and I've got to you know work on the different angles and if I stand up and present versus you know all like you know you've been working on this for a while I'm I'm a little bit behind but yeah we're getting there. yeah yeah well I have a very small space and you know this is it's you know I've got a giant whiteboard in my space now so it's like you know it's 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 all becoming a thing yeah yeah let me, I want to ask you this I. I just, this just came into my head, and I want to talk about it on the air, and we didn't plan for this, but I really want to know, because Twitter announced this week that they would not they, they would not mandate going into the office anymore from here on right. out. Did you see yep. that? Jack Dorsey I did. did that? Absolutely, yeah. What do you, th- what is the future of the city? What, because at least for downtown Cleveland, I know LA is a little bit different, but for downtown Cleveland, most of these are office jobs they're going to. 90% of the people going downtown are going into an office, a cube of some kind. Yeah. And half of those companies are going to come back and not not go back, regardless of what happens. Has nothing I don't think to it's do half. With the vi- yeah, I don't think it's half. What do you think it is? I think it's, you know, I mean, look, it, as we've talked about, and you'll hear later in my uh, my, my rave. Um, I think many of the changes we're seeing are not changes as much as they are acceleration of changes that were already underway. And so I think in many ways, what you're seeing from Dorsey and Twitter is the acceleration of a work from home, um, you know, idea that has been going the last few years. Um, and, um, quite frankly, weirdly, ironically, put on hold a trend that was put on hold by companies like IBM and Yahoo back, you know, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that basically said, hey, listen, we've got these really cool, expensive offices. We don't want you to work from home anymore. We want you to work in the thing. And then the WeWork thing came along and sort of made shared space, you know, a little more trendy and all of that. And I think now you've got this resurgence. So this this acceleration of change. It's really easy. This is my, this is, I, 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 I have a point, I promise, um, which is it's really easy for a company like Twitter or Salesforce or Microsoft or, you know, startup companies to say work from home because right. they, they were, they're built that way. But you start talking about law offices and accounting firms and other things, other businesses that, require um, to some degree either because their infrastructure requires it or because the nature of their business requires it, sort of physical space, you're, I just don't think you're going to see that move that quickly. So what I think is it's easy for 
it's easy for a Jack Dorsey to say that for Twitter. It's much harder for the CEO of a law firm, for example, to do that. So what do you think? Uh, you, you think it's going to be a very small percentage ultimately? That, you know, I, I think decides to work remotely as a, as a thing and I get think, rid of the big office. I think what it's going to do is that it's going to make working from home mainstream. I mean, I think that's the tipping point, right? It makes it mainstream. And I think what ends up happening is, you know, basically n- neither one extreme or the other. I think what ends up happening is in much the same way that 9-11 changed our culture, where we started integrating things in that that we now take for granted, you know, taking off our shoes, you know, no more than three ounces of liquid, and how that sort of permeated the culture in terms of the way that we use products, Um, you know, the way we go into buildings now and we go through metal detectors and the way we have to sign into buildings, the way we have to, you know, those sort of cultural changes that we now sort of just take for granted as part of normal, you know, that wasn't normal in, you know, October uh, or excuse me, um, in August of, of 2001, you know, you know, so I think another wave here. Yeah. I think, I think what we, yeah, yeah, I think what we see is a sort of next, what, what we've been calling the next normal, which is just making mainstream, you know, one of the things that, um, we just finished, um, I just finished my yearly retreat. You know, that one I go to Utah every year. Yeah. Um, we just finished that, um, this year and did it all virtual. And it was a fascinating, wonderful retreat, um, last week, uh, to be able to do that. And one of the things that we talked about were some of the things that would stick, right? Some of the, the ideas that might stick post coronavirus and things like, you know, masks as fashion, right? That that might be a thing that sticks. You're already starting to see some of that. The plexiglass separating booths and separating service workers from the general public. Those are the things that might stick. Um, You know, those are some of the things that I think you're going to start to see. And by the way, the commute, the daily commute may be something that we start to see uh, as well, more flexible working from home types of things. Well, the, I'll, I'll, I'll share this in my, I don't want actually, let's not go too far because there's part in the rave that, that speaks specifically to what you're talking about when it comes to some of these trends. So we'll save that because oh, we probably should. Beautiful. Look, yeah, I should get to the news. I actually just like, you know, maybe we could just ask the audience, we just get on here and BS for 45 minutes. That might be enough. Would it be enough? It might be. I don't know. I, I, you know, it, it feels like it wouldn't be, but maybe I, you know, it's one of those things where we should ask the audience, you know, do they, do they, you know, we're 14 minutes in and we haven't mentioned any football yet, which well, is that's the also other thing. We used to fill time with football and we can't now <laughs> unless, well, yeah, well, we could, we could, I've been, I will tell you, I have become a scholar of the trade. <laughs> you probably the deals, know everything. You and know I the basically, law behind it. I know yeah. every minute. Oh, I have every minute detail down, my friend. I mean, so, so yeah. But, um, but sure. yeah, let's get to, uh, let's, let's get it. to the news here. So let's open up with our first segment of the show, which of course is our top of the show, big idea, big news item that we think you should be paying attention to. And this one, of course, is uh, fits that bill perfectly. It is coming to us courtesy of the New York Times. Um, and the headline here is that big tech has crushed the news business. That's about to change, says the New York Times. Opens up by saying news organizations have long hoped that tech platforms would pay them for news. Now regulators abroad are hoping to make that happen. 
It reads like a coroner's report on the news business, 623 pages filled with charts and graphs detailing the devastating decline in local news and public policy reporting of the past decade. It landed on the Australian Prime Minister's desk last summer, unnoticed by most news consumers in America and around the world. But the report by Australian regulators left little doubt about what they see as the cause of local journalism's demise, the near monopolistic power of Google and Facebook. I, you know, they could have just listened to a couple of our yeah, shows why not? and not had to do 623 pages, but you know, I, I just saying. Anyway, the article goes on to describe um, a, you know, a, a, a trend all across the world and specifically Australia and France and most of Europe where we're starting to see um, government get involved and regulations get involved, which is going to protect some of these news uh, outlets and news ideas. What did you take away from this um, this uh, this article? My well, friend? I'm of course I'm a fan of media and journalism, and I would like to see it survive. But this is to me this is too little, too late. Um, this is a tw- this has been a 20 year journey into um, let me put how do I put this into media most media companies. I don't want to generalize to all media companies, but to most media enterprises, not thinking far enough outside the box when it comes to revenue streams and being so eternally tied to advertising. And when it came to the point in 2000, I mean, I remember it, I was in meetings where we were talking about what do we do with Google and do we let them index our content and all that stuff when I worked at Pent Media, which is a large business to business publisher. And we'd made the decision then we were going to let Google index it. And it was great, right? We got a lot of traffic from it, and, and publishers still do benefit from this. But the problem is, is that when you only have, for the most part, one revenue source, which is sponsorship or advertising, it's one of the worst business models in the world to, to for just that. I'm not saying that advertising in itself is an inferior business uh, revenue generator because it isn't. It can work really well with a suite of revenue opportunities, but if it's just that one. It's an issue. So the whole the article, as you know, goes on and talks about, you know, should Facebook and Google and other outfits pay media companies uh, some money for to be co- their content creators? We, yeah, that's fine. But what are you doing? You're bas- basically they're just paying them to write content for them. They're, you're, you don't you don't become the Washington Post anymore. You just become part of Facebook. And Facebook is paying just like they're paying another writer. They're going to pay whatever the uh, entity is, the brand is, so that they can have people stay on Facebook or Google or whatever. I didn't even know that Google was trying to get work it out where they could have the content right. You know how they do the the Google PageRank Zero. They were trying to get the the content right onto Google when you typed it in, so you wouldn't have to even go to the link. The whole article is so that's in discussion right now, and that might actually happen. So my take is, as as much as I like to think that this is a this is a good thing that we should pay you know, media enterprises to stay afloat, it sounds like um, what's the PPP thing that's going on in the United States? The yeah, it, that's right. what it the sounds like. Program, it sounds like a yeah. band aid. It sounds like a temporary prop. It's a band aid. Let's pay them off now because it's it's not. How do I put? It? I don't think it's Google or Facebook's fault that they came up with a better business model. I think that 
This is just didn't happen. This is a long process that media companies could have moved their business model to something that I think, look at the New York Times, which I think actually has a very viable business model because of their subscription, direct subscriptions uh, that they have. But most companies haven't done that. So, right. Yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, and, and I, 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 my only, I guess, addition to that would be, I think it's worse than a Band-Aid um, because I think something you said, which I think is sort of what should be in bold and italics there, is they're just paying for content, right? And so what they're not doing is, you know, they, they just become, so the local newspapers and the, the people that are going to get paid by Google and Facebook for, you know, pennies, let's just be honest, it's going to be a low amount of money. You're not going to be building a brand. You're just going to become, you know, freelance. You know, you're just basically maintaining your one company that maintains a freelance set of writers for Facebook because they're not, they're not really subsidizing the business. What they're really doing is paying for content that will appear within right. the context it's like a of licensing, Facebook and Google. It's like Google. a licensing deal. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a licensing deal is exactly yeah. right. And so you're not building any brand. You're not building any institutional momentum. You're not building trust, I would argue, because you're basically at the whim of uh, Facebook and Google's trust in the audience because, as we've talked about before, people don't associate that news. You know, they, they say, oh, I got my news on Facebook or I got my news on Google. They don't say, oh, I got my news from the New York Times on Google. Um, and so that is, you know, so I think the headline, quite frankly, is wrong, right? Big tech has crushed the news business. That's about to change. I think you should have just stopped right. the period. Yeah, that's right. right. Big tech has that's crushed right. the news business, period. And, and now there may be an opportunity with companies like the New York Times to innovate around that. Uh, and come out of underneath the boot, but that's really where we are right very now. Few, very so. few and far between. You know, it's interesting when you were saying yeah. that. Do you, do you read books on the Kindle or iPad? I do. Okay, I do. I've talked yeah. to a lot of people. I've read a couple. Uh, we have one in the house that we share, but I don't. I mostly read a print physical book. Now, what I've heard a lot of Kindle people say that are very loyal to it they say a lot of times they forget the title of the book they certainly forget what the book looks like and sometimes they forget the author because you're not picking the book up every time you just go to your page right you don't see it you certainly and you don't you miss the artwork the design aspect of it and sometimes you don't even know what the title was um i don't know if that happens to you but i've heard that consistently from a number of people this is the same to me when you were talking about how they're just taking licensing content. I just get, I get my content from Google. I get my content from Facebook. Are you, are you really, do you really know that it's within, let's say I'm just using Washington Post as an example, the Washington Post inside of Facebook or Google. I think you start to just think of, of that. Oh, you got my, con I got my content on Facebook. That's, but I think that's, yeah, yeah I think that's the, I, I think the difference there, um, cause I do believe there is a difference. You know, it's a bit like having, you know, listening to music on the Apple player or, you know, or, you know, or listening to a podcast on the podcast player. I, I You know, there are players. Um, and when I say player, I, I think of Kindle like a player. Right. Yeah. So it plays my book for me. I don't actually think to myself, oh, I'm reading this book on Kindle. I, I actually don't forget the authors. And okay. I, I do appreciate the design of the cover and and, and all of that. Um 
and I tend to do both. You know, I tend to like magazines uh, in physical space rather than the digital space because I just like the textual, you know, the, 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 the tactile nature of magazines. But when the context itself becomes faceless, in other words, I don't see, I don't open up Facebook as a player. I open up Facebook and see content in their context. Yeah. And so in other words, if I opened up the Apple podcast player and just music started playing and I didn't know who the band was or, you know, whatever, I might, I might, you know, I might actually then start to associate that content with that brand. And that's, I think the worry, right? Is that, you know, New York times isn't going to get the special New York times treatment on Facebook, like a player. It's just going to be cont words, right? Words and pictures that appear through Facebook and, they get paid for those words, great, but it, I'm still going to get my news through the Facebook interface. You know, I, it, it just makes me think back as, as a historian of some of this stuff, and I know you are too. When you, go, when you go back and somebody just decided that the business model for words on a page, words on a screen, were, were these small groupings, which basically came in, you know, were, were subscriber revenues, or advertising sponsorship revenues. I think that's the mistake and why we're in this place. If we would have just been okay with and said, look, you can make money off of the creation of content in multiple different ways. And actually it's not, it's better to make it off of product revenues or some other revenues than just making it off the words themselves. Would It's just a heck of a lot of the heck of a better business model. And we've seen that. I mean, obviously yeah. that's content marketing, right? That's, that's where, you know, I, I, there's a book out there called Killing Marketing, where we talk about this it's in detail. Fascinating. Yes. And uh, and this is and and any company can do this. It doesn't have to be a media company. It doesn't have to be a, a product driven company. It doesn't have to be a service driven company. It could be any company. I think that's, that's right. where the magic happens. Where yes, can you drive revenues off of the word itself directly? Sure, you can. But that's an inferior model compared to the other ways that you can drive revenue. So I don't know. Who knows if if anyone would Who talk about this stuff? Knows. Uh, you know, it would be it would be wonderful, right? Somebody should write a book. Is what that is what really should happen here? They no, nobody yeah. know nobody knows nobody, nobody knows. knows. Okay, <laughs> what do we got? All right, well, let's move on to our next article here, which is of course brings us to our second segment, which is a few articles um, that, given our time, we'll see how many we have to get to here. Um, but a few articles that Joe and I have picked from around the web um, that make us uh, sort of uh, feed into the theme. And this one feeds right into it. It's a beautiful segue. It's almost like we designed this or something. Um, this article comes to us courtesy of Digiday. Uh, and the headline is, The Financial Times, meaning the newspaper, The Financial Times, um, is selling its subscription expertise. This is actually a story that I covered on my weekly rap podcast. Um, and so I have a bit to say on it as well here. But um, it opens up by saying publishers are enjoying a slight windfall in subscription numbers, as we just heard as well. Um, but with news traffic already waning, huh, funny how that's already we've talked about, how to hold on to those readers is top of mind. The Financial Times consulting arm, FT Strategies, who knew they had such a thing, is running a nine-month-long project funded by Google to help grow sustainable digital reader revenue businesses with eight European subscription publishers. The International News Media Association is also a partner in the Google 
Google News Initiative Subscription Lab, or the GNISL, I guess you would call it. The uh, publishers include The Independent, LaCroix, El Mundo, uh, Mit Media, RP Online, Courier, uh, all basically a bunch of European newspapers um, and publishers. And the key is that they are learning how to sell their services, which of you know basically their expertise in drawing subscribers to each other, uh, basically helping them learn how the subscription model works, et cetera, et cetera. Why there are no brands here um, baffles the hell out of me, um, and I have more to say on it. But did you want to? No, 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 no. I, I'm going to defer. And I'm going to let you go, and then I will comment. So here's the thing. I love it. I I absolutely love it. Um, I think, you know, the Financial Times is incredibly smart here with their FT Strategies idea, which is, by the way, headed by a guy who used to work at McKinsey. So they're, you know, they're putting real investment and time and money and effort into this FT Strategies thing. And in partnership with Google, which I'm not sure why Google didn't just call you or me (laughs) to be able to, you know, where, where was our call, right, to say, hey, we might want to learn how to do this. Um, but they didn't. They didn't call us. They actually called the Financial Times uh, folks. And they're basically, it's, it's really just sort of a roundtable idea of teaching each other, these publishers, how to draw in and build subscribers, says the article. So I was, of course, intrigued by this. And I went to go find out. Well, it turns out this is old news, my friend. Um, this happened back in February and March. So when I went to go enlist and enroll in the class, because I'm like, I want to learn from these guys. Yeah. Um, you can't, um, it was already closed off in mid March, um, before we even got into this real COVID mess here. Um, and I'm guessing it's either still going on or not going on. Um, but it is, uh, it is closed off. And I guess my only advice here, my takeaway is that, Hey, if you're out there, um, Mr. Media company, Mrs. Media company, and you are thinking about doing something like this, you should do it. You should copy this because this is an amazing thing that Joe just covered in multiple revenue streams, teaching brands, in this case, not making the mistake that I think they made here, which is not to include brands in this, but to teach brands how to be, you know, how to build audiences and how to do the thing that you know how to do is an incredible way to diversify your revenue stream. Not that I want to build a competitor to myself, by the way, (laughs) in the consulting space, but you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this was a huge opportunity for publishers out there to do this and a huge, I think, failing of this program to actually include brands um, in the uh, in the mix here. Um, anyway, that's my take on it. I don't know what yours is. Well, I, I don't think they would ever think to include brands into this because... Right. It's just... Uh, yeah. uh, how, how, know, many, why, how, yeah. how many media companies, when you talk about audience development with a media company... Anybody, anybody working in a media company? Do they ever bring up that brands need audience development too? Nope. Never. They never even think right. about it. Um, this is, I, so I, I had the pleasure for years to work in the heating and air conditioning industry. Um, a lot of people fantastic industry. Yes, fantastic, fantastic industry. industry. And they it's really, it. it's, it's, a, it's a cool industry. I, <laughs> I mean, I've heard it's hot. It's a hot industry as well. And sometimes it's, it's hot. It's, sometimes it's yeah. cold. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's right under your feet. Um, <laughs> that's a little radiant. Yeah. 
yeah, radiant heating joke. Get yeah, that right? Yeah, okay. I got it. I got yeah. it. I'm glad. Yeah. They so HVAC contractors, uh, a wonderful group of people. I know a lot of them. They have things called mix groups and have for 70, 80 years. And basically, what a mix group is is you you get a uh, a contractor in a certain area, and they have let's say five or six or up to ten non competitive partners that they meet with from around the country. And they share secrets of how they're, you know, how they're marketing, how their inst- installations working, how their hiring's going, what are they chart, what are they paying, what are they charging, all those types of things. It's really helpful. I've been to one of these mixed group sessions, and they really do share everything. It's wonderful. That when I when I read this, that's exactly what I thought of. This is like a mixed group for media companies, specifically focused on building audiences. Yeah, um, I'm torn. If it was me, I would, and I, I was part of this thing, and I wanted to build a some kind of a service and sell this to brands, audience development service. I I probably would do it because I think that it would reap way more benefits than than the negatives attributed to it. But you can tell, but they don't want to give away their secret sauce, do they? Well. <laughs> so this becomes I think they should because we talk about course, giving away this kind of thing absolutely in yes. right I mean this is the you know this is the way to demonstrate that you're an expert into yes. why I hire a publishing company to market my stuff anyway right I'm not hiring you know a publishing company one of the things that I think we've lost in our advertising strategy if I can speak to that as a CMO my main reason, you know, the reason that I wanted my PR people to focus on the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal was because, quite frankly, I wanted my stuff in those brands. I want, you know, I who cares if I got an article in the LA Business Journal? Oh, yay, whatever. Mom's not going to be proud of that. My CEO's not going to care about that. But if I got an article in the Wall Street Journal, with my little head drawn as a drawing and all of that, that was big deal. That was a big deal. And the other thing is when I advertise, I doing for the same reason, some of the luster of the brand of a New York times, a wall street journal or a Washington post or an LA times or whatever is going to, you know, and the big business media magazines as well rubs off on me, right? If I'm doing a full page ad and ad age, I'm getting the benefit of a little bit of ad ages brand there. We've lost a lot of that, and, and it feeds right into exactly what we were talking about just a minute ago with the need for the New York Times and other news outlets to have some level of institutional brand when they present their news through a Facebook. You lose that, and I don't care anymore, right? I'd much rather just advertise on Facebook, right, than advertise with you yep. because I don't. you don't have the brand anymore. Nobody cares about you anymore. And so by creating this strategic service to their clients— to say, let us teach you how to do this doesn't mean that they're not going to advertise with me. It just means they're going to use me for more things. It, you know, it reminds me of a little company that started in Cleveland a while back that basically said, look, we can teach people how to be great content marketers. And if we teach them to be great content marketers, what they're going to want is how to be better content marketers. And they might come to events and they might come to webinars and they might advertise with us and they might build an entire community and audience around this idea. And what we're going to be doing is enabling a movement that people will get behind and we can monetize that movement. And that company, if I remember correctly, did pretty well. Yeah, it did do well, actually. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I heard. <laughs> I've heard. Uh, no. Enough that you can spend $1,000 on a custom PC. I oh, mean, come, come on. on. Got to set limits. <laughs> I mean, there's there's got to be limits somewhere. I'm the parent, right? Right. No, exactly. I, I, you're, exactly. You're, you're exactly right. But this is... I, I Boy, I love... You know this. I love the publishing media industry. I love the people in it. Very passionate people. So many different kinds of people, different kinds of expertise in, in, in all these things. But man, I'm I'm continually frustrated that they have a business model that's a hundred years old, for the most part, that they they can't get out of their own way. Sure. Well, and it's an us versus them, right? An us and them attitude. And if you and as you've said a million times, very correctly, you know, it it's the same. We're in the same business these days. We're all in the audience business these days, and so there are only two ways you can you know, sort of react to that. One is to say, great, they're my competitors and I need to, you know, build walls and moats and protect my IP and make sure that, you know, they don't get any of my super, you know, secret sauce or we open it up and we just become the absolute best at what we do. How many times have you had that conversation with a brand and they say, I mean, oh my God, a million times. It's usually the CEO says, but if we give away all of our secret sauce, then they'll never come to us. And then you re- then you have to go through the whole That's thing. That's right. And say, yeah, there's going to be 1% of people that are going to do it themselves and not need you. It's going to be 99% right. that are going right. to say, wow, you guys really know your stuff. What can I buy from you? That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it, 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 it's just that simple. And by the way, the other thing that I'll say to that CEO is, you know, those that want to know your secret sauce, they got it. They found it, right? That 1%, they're going to get other ways to get your secret sauce anyway. They're going to, you know, spy on you. They'll put a mole in your business. They'll, you know, whatever it is, they'll get your secret sauce if they want to do it themselves. So you might as well, right, make it open source. If the, yeah, I feel, I mean, I we gotta, it's, how long have we been talking about this? How many years? <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. fun. <laughs> Just <laughs> ranting about these people. Yeah. These people don't yeah. know the ring. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> Where's the ring? <laughs> oh my god! One what ring to rule them that's all. Exactly right. All right. All right. For our last uh, story that we're going to cover on this episode, we are going to cover an article from Forbes. This comes from my pal Joe, who sent this over. And basically, uh, this comes from, I think the hat tip here goes to Adrian Lurson. Correct. Is that yeah. again that yep. name right, Absolutely. Joe? Okay. So Adrian sent this over to you via email. And the headline here is, How the Crisis uh, Has Made Content More Valuable Than Gold. Um, I thought it was already king, or content was queen, or uh, no, I don't it's know. Gold. Anyway, it's going to be Bitcoin pretty soon. Now content is yeah. gold. Right, it's going to be Bitcoin. For the past decade, the article opens up, marketers have been unified in their belief that content marketing is crucial to generating visibility, marketing expertise, and growing business, including among professional services firms. With this current global crisis, what has changed? The scale of it, says the article. In a recent conversation with Adrian Lurson, early employee at Yahoo and co-founder of the content distribution and data platform JD Supra, we discussed the incredible sea change that we're witnessing. 
We've been seeing and saying for years that thought leadership is valuable in professional services, marketing, and business development. These past few months, we have seen that value show itself at scale and very quickly. The crisis has proven beyond a question of doubt how essential thought leaders are to the world, especially at a time when everyone needs to make sense of the chaos in a crisis. And the article then goes on as an interview with, uh, with, um, uh, with Adrian here and talks about how professional services firms in particular um, and uh, content is becoming much more valuable as the crisis continues. I mean, I read this article and it's great stuff, right? First of all, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful stuff. It feels a little like, yeah, of course, yep. this is this is what we know. Um, what um, what do you think is the real takeaway here? Uh, I do have a takeaway on this, but I have to say, is there any website that's worse at user experience than Forbes? <laughs> What? That's where this article comes from. And I'm watching it right now. It's I'm, it's like I'm in Blade Runner. Like, what the right. heck? Can you stop it yeah. with all the flying things and the videos that start? And the and the, yep. I can't stand it. Oh, my God. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? You have some really good content. What are you trying to do? Just sell it to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> just license it to facebook so i can, that so I can read it facebook, on a platform yeah. that's at least enjoyable how about that um yeah here's my take on it by the way adrian has been a friend of mine for a long time and he created an amazing platform called jd supra basically what they do yeah. is they take mostly uh lawyers information and services professionals information and they get it in front of the right audience so they can make them look like thought leaders and it's great they help edit it all that kind of stuff it's 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 been it's a really interesting model they've been very successful with it and people that use their platform get business because they create this amazing consistent content on that site my takeaway is a little bit different though my takeaway is that every employee no matter what the company uh, is part of marketing. And that's what I thought of when I read this, Robert, was I don't think we stress this enough that when you are hired into a company, you, you need to understand that you, your job is to drive business to that company just like everyone else, just like anyone in marketing and anyone in sales. And, only we, and, and I don't think most employees think about it that way. So for this example, when they're, you know, you've got lawyers who, and I've worked with lawyers, you know, I used to work on their contracts all the time. They are some of the worst writers on the planet when it comes to this stuff, but they're very knowledgeable. And when you tell them up front that, hey, here's the types of things I want you thinking about because we need to get this information back in front of our customers and prospects because it'll help you get more business. Once they realize that and understand that, it everything changes. They're not just thinking, oh, I have this job to do. They're thinking about, oh, we're all part of this same mission. And the mission is that we want to help our customers be smarter, live better lives, whatever the mission might be for your particular company. So that's why I'm thinking about this type of thing that's happening on JD Supra is possible because these lawyers are attuned to the fact that they need to communicate what they do. And it's just like what we just talked about in the Financial Times article. Same thing. And I don't think enough people think about that. That's what I took about. I don't know what you took. 
That's what I was thinking. No, about. I think that's I think that's a really good. I mean, I, I actually that I, I'm learning something here. I think this is uh, a wonderful insight that you've because I think what it does is it feeds right into what you were saying earlier about you know this goes all the way back to what we were talking about at the top of the show with regard to the future of cities and the future of business and what changes out of all of this, which I think you know if even if it's just a mental model. Right, we have this mental model now of headquarters, right? This big glass building that we all pile into, and there are people in that little physical aggregation of people who are our thought leaders and voices of the company. And I think we build in this sort of mental model of those are the people who stand out front, right? Those are the people who are visible. Those are the people who are. Um, you know, are, 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 you know, doing the speaking for the company and, and are our spokespeople and our thought leaders, et cetera. And now I think just exactly to your point with the democratization of content, the more virtual nature the you know, as I've been telling all of my clients, you know, on the internet, everybody's avatar is the same size. Yep. And, and so everybody in your organization, there's an opportunity, maybe not a responsibility yet. I might argue a responsibility, but certainly an opportunity for every business to start to transform all of these little nodes on the network. You know, these employees that are virtually now spread all over, even if that's, again, just a mental model into the ability to be resources for your customers. And I think it's a great point. I think it's a, it's a, you know, from a visual standpoint, I love it from a, you know, from a mental model, it's great. And then what it brings up is the need for training, education, and all of that so that people are comfortable being, having that responsibility, having that, you know, having that, uh, that power and the responsibility to be, to, to, to be a voice for your organization, independent of yep. what kind of business you are. Well, my one, yeah. and you know, this one of my mentors is Don Schultz who wrote, Integrated Marketing Communications and a bunch of other books, the father of integrated marketing. And he's written many, many pieces on internal marketing. And he'll always say, when you have to make a choice between marketing externally and marketing internally, you always choose internal first because your employees are the best way for you to get new business. So they need to understand the vision, where you're going, how to communicate those types of things first. And- It's another, I mean, that's another thing where uh, when I, when you talk, let's say you go to content marketing world or you talk to a content marketer, they immediately go to, I'm going to communicate with my audience or my prospects or customers. They don't always think about the internal aspect and how important that is. Yeah. You have to continually come back and say, no, 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 no. Now is this, especially right now. Right now is the time you're going to batten down the hatches or whatever you're going to do should be focused on what do my employees need to know right now and how can I communicate with them consistently and educate them consistently so that they can help me do my job better. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, well, here's the thing. Yeah. Speaking of how we do our job better, we should probably do our job better. And talk about this amazing, wonderful sponsor that we have to talk about. Yes, absolutely. And we were talking about virtual events. We got a good one coming up. This is Content Marketing Institute's (laughs) Demand Generation Summit. Are you speaking at this? 
<laughs> I am not. I was not invited. You're not they did not invite this. me to speak at this. Right, no, this I was is, not invited yeah, to speak. Yeah, this is at, uh, CMI's demand. demand yeah, demand generation. There's some amazing speakers, though. Let me this be clear. This is like the only event that you're not speaking at, I think. I, might, yeah. Yeah, might be. Demand Generation Summit. It's a free event, folks. May 19th and 20th, 2020. Uh, basically starts at 1130 each uh, a.m. Eastern time each one of those days. It's an incredible lineup, really talking about you know how you're going to drive more demand through the use of content. We've got, uh, I'm just looking at uh, using educational videos to generate qualified leads, uh, how to use emotion in, to generate more demand in your B2B, uh, what's some other, uh, your buyers are stressed out. You know, what do you have to, how do you communicate with them more effectively talking about content experiences, something, you know, about lots of really good, amazing, uh, presentations for you. Some great speakers. Yeah. Some yeah, wonderful speakers. Each one's, on. I think each one's about 45 minutes. Again, it's completely yeah. free. Some great speakers, great topics. So go to content marketing Institute slash events. So content marketing Institute.com slash events, and you can sign up completely free uh really really good stuff i can't recommend it enough so and yeah, it's over it's two days a it's not gonna, couple of, yeah i think it's um 11 30 12 30 1 30 on the 19th and then 11 30 12 30 1 30 eastern time on the next day so yeah that is go. the yeah it's a it's going to be a great uh and fun event and yeah some of my favorite people are there um speaking so yeah definitely get yourself signed up for that free um, Free, free, free is better than is 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 less than money. So wait a minute, hold what? on. What? What did I say? What? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, empirically proven favorite part of the show, which of course is our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like. Uh, going outside with a mask or quite frankly, breathing in all of that wonderful, fresh content marketing air. Um, and let's see, shall I, I, I shall go first, I think, okay. because I have very, two very short, um, things. And then you have something, I think a little more substantive. So I think it would be, it would benefit us for, has been for said that, by no one reason. ever, but okay. <laughs> the first thing I have to do is I have to provide our now, um, standard part of our rants and rave section, which of course is our Quibi update. Quibi, Quibi, um, we need a song. Quibi, yeah, Quibi, need, Quibi, where are you today? Li- <laughs> Quibi, 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 where are you late? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, our Quibi update. Um, this comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, which came out. Uh, and uh, by the way, hat, hat tip here to Adam Newton, who is Drive Time. Uh, on uh, Twitter with drive time being with wise there. Um, so thank you, Adam, for sending this story over. Um, and apparently Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is, of course, the founder of Quibi, um, he blames the pandemic, Joe, for the Quibi's oh, rough start. Yes. Really? Yes. This whole coronavirus thing has thrown his genius business model into uh, into disarray. Um Jeffrey Katzenberg says the article hasn't left his Beverly Hills home in nearly 50 days, deprived of a frenetic schedule that before the coronavirus typically meant three breakfast meetings, three lunch meetings, and a working dinner. That's a lot of eating, by the way. Um, the veteran executive has filled <laughs> his days with... a high-calorie diet. <laughs> he is, yeah. He has filled his days with what he calls Zoomeroo video conferences as he tries to rejigger Quibi, the streaming app he started with Meg Whitman a little more than a month ago. Um, downloads have been anemic. 
despite a lineup that includes producers and stars like Jennifer Lopez, LeBron James, Idris Elba, Steven Spielberg, and Chrissy Teigen. Um, Blah, blah, blah. The thing goes on. And the sort of money quote, I think, from the trouble that Quibi is having here um, in the article basically says, hey, if we knew before there was going to be this need to share things, because here's the thing, you can't share anything on Quibi. You can't, like, you can't tweet it, you can't Facebook it, you can't copy it, you can't make a meme out of it, you can't make an animated GIF out of it. And basically, they're starting to realize that this lack of shareability in their content kind of isn't working for them. Um, And this idea of being on the couch kind of isn't working for them either. Both of which I have to go, really? Really? You didn't see the need to have shareable content like in today's day? Anyway, the article is fascinating uh, in its sort of analysis and um, basically will tell you nothing you probably don't already know about um, why Quibi is having trouble. I think my favorite part of the whole article is the picture of Katzenberg on the front page who looks like somebody just told him that they pooped their pants. Um, it's really just classic. So there's the Quibi. I have to check that out. Yeah. Quibi, Quibi update. All right. Um, my rave very quickly here. Um, is an article that we'll link to, obviously, in the show notes from Katie Martell, um, who is a very smart, very talented content strategist. Um, And she wrote this article just, quite frankly, yesterday as we record this. Um, And the article is called B2B Marketing During These Unprecedented Times, and she has that in quotes, by the way, which I love, uh, is exactly where it was headed anyway. And the article goes on in it's a it's a long article, but it's just really, really good. Um, I just loved this. I, I love the way she organized her thoughts. I love the way she presented this. Um, and it was just great. And it basically goes through an argument about why all the things that we're seeing sort of in the predictions of a post-COVID world for B2B marketing were already things that we should have been doing. And all this has done is accelerated those changes. And so, like I was talking about at the top of the show, I think we're seeing mostly acceleration and changes that were already coming. This is an argument for that. And it's just a very, very well put together argument anyway. So just a big rave on it and go read it. And it's just fantastic. Excellent. I will. I have not read it. I will check it out. And I have a couple things to share. Um, first of all, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the Digiday podcast with um, Randall Rothenberg. And Randall Rothenberg is yeah. IAB International Advertising Bureau, I believe, CEO. Yes. It's it's really Correct. interesting. Uh, some of the things he talks about, generally, the advertising industry is thinking 25 to 30% down. Don't know, though. He talks about some of the trends. Uh, the same thing that we've been talking about, sort of not new trends, but accelerating what already is happening. Uh, my big thing is... Uh, so I love a rave on the whole podcast. Listen to it. It's really good stuff. Sort of like uh, IAB saying, thinking, it talks about advertisers or media companies shouldn't rely uh, solely on advertising. That's a wrong move. And I'm and I just wanted to say, IAB, you should have said that 20 years ago. Like, why not? Like, you're a little, <laughs> right? little too late. A little too late for yeah. that. We've railed on them quite a bit yeah, in the past. I, just I mean, they're trying. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like what they're doing. Um, 
They're adorable. They're, they're adorable. They're adorable. The, the way I, they try. I like a lot of the things that they're doing. I don't have any any issue with that, but I just feel that that message is something I would have liked to hear uh, about 20 years ago. So that's uh, a rant rave that I have. The second one, I covered this in my e-newsletter, but I just wanted to do a little shout, shout out. Um, so this this happened, uh, let's see, early April. Uh Riot Games, which is League of Legends Riot Games, launched a new free, uh, free game, you know, free with, you know, buying all your skins and stuff like that, called Valorant. Have you heard of this, Robert? This? I have okay. heard of the game. So Valorant, my son plays it all the time. Now, it's really, really successful. I mean, some of just... Just some of the things that they've done. I mean, first of all, you should know that Riot Games League of Legends Championships, which you would, this is esports, it's it gets more viewers than the Super Bowl every year, folks. This is a this is That's a big right. deal. Like you're talking, and, and even Randall um, Rothenberg talked about this in his podcast. Esports has just been a boom here. You know, it was big before. Now it's really big, and Twitch is really the platform. By the way. Amazon owns Twitch, if you didn't know that. So Amazon That's owns right. just about everything these days. But Riot Games, so they had this big success, League of Legends. They they launched this new game, Valorant, and I love the launch. And I will link to this article, the articles on Engadget. And so I'll link to it, some of the things that they did. They launched on April 7th. That day they hit 1.7 million concurrent views. Uh, they also set the daily record for 34 million hours watched in one day, <laughs> which is just completely scary. Really scary part here is that they're still in beta as of this recording, so not everyone can have the game. But some of the things that they did, they focused on Twitch. They focused on one platform, which I'm a big believer in when you're trying to build an audience for something. So they went all in with Twitch. Second thing is they really focus on their long-term relationships with their influencers when they got this started. So they didn't pay any of their influencers to focus to uh, stream out the game on Twitch. They've been really uh, close to a lot of their influencers, big ones and small ones, but influencers that have big audiences and those that have small niche audiences as well. So I love that take, and a lot of marketers don't do that because they focus on influencers only when they need them, not all the time. Riot Games doesn't do that. And they did this little thing that I thought was cool. So they did access for watch time. So if you watched long enough, you watched the Twitch streams long enough for Valorant, you could get a random beta key to get access to the game. And apparently my son watched for over 50 hours and finally got his key. So now he's been playing all the time. <laughs> so don't judge him. Nice. But I'm just, it's nice. just really interesting what they did. It's a very simple influencer strategy that any company could do. Uh, so I, I would recommend you go check it out. And they've, I mean, it's just amazing how big this stuff is. Nobody really talks about Twitch that much because I think a lot of cases we focus on the business side of this. But Twitch is just an unbelievable the platform for for game streaming so yeah it's i mean it's it's amazing the average this is a stat that'll that just blew me away i mean as a former tv guy the average viewership and i'm sure it's higher now the average viewership of twitch is higher than cnn or espn or really any um of the news cable networks isn't that so crazy it's, it's it's crazy right i mean and when you tell people what twitch is they go what but yeah, you you are not you you know just because you're not watching it, it doesn't mean that other people. Yeah, aren't. I mean it's it's so, so interesting yeah. to think. I mean, we we haven't put our head around media consumption because I mean I every once in a while I'll listen to Joe Rogan podcast and you don't realize that 
that he on a, on one of his episodes he gets way more listeners than anybody watching CNN that day. So it's just it's that's right, just crazy. Absolutely. We don't think about that. Yeah. So yeah, who the who the real influencers are out there? Yeah. Yeah, in terms of in terms of media these days. Well, speaking of influencers, what are you up to this? Oh, week? hey, uh, well, you know this because you shared it out. I just wrote a new mini book. It's called Corona Marketing. Yes, you De- did. Corona Marketing. Uh, if you know what it, and not I, the you'll beer. never get us what it's about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, I put together thirteen tips for marketers to survive through the pandemic, and I'm giving it away for free. Just go to coronamarketingbook.com and you can download it, and that's what. That's what I've been working on. So I've just been writing. Nice. And it's, putting out. it's really good. It's really good. I highly recommend it for all of you who haven't downloaded it yet. It's really You, you should like it because you're in it like good. five times. I know. It's, you know, <laughs> I, I just read all the parts that mentioned me, and then I just sort of, yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing? What do you got? Uh, I am, you know, we are busily working here on a couple of client projects, um, you know, as they get going on their content strategy um, in this new weird time, as well as been, you know, sort of, as I mentioned, getting my little studio going here with, you know, I've been playing AV guy, running around my office, putting up ring lights, getting my studio and video cameras all learning about video switching and all that stuff. So this has been my spare time. And then any other spare time, I've been trying to spend a little time with the family and sort of, you know, enjoy enjoy the the, the beautiful weather we're Good having here you. in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfection. So I'll, all right. Well, on that note, that's it. We're signing off. And if you like this episode, episode number 236, that's right, 236 episodes, subscribe, won't you? We kind of need to get these numbers up, folks. We need more people listening. We need wonderful people listening, and you're all wonderful. So invite your wonderful friends, or quite frankly, get yourself multiple subscriptions. We're not, a, you know, we're not beyond Kobayashi marooning this thing all the way down to the bank. We're going to be publishing twice a month now. So, uh, you know, that's our general cadence or, you know, whenever we feel like sort of throwing in a bonus episode here or there. In the meantime, if you want more Joe uh, Polizzi, you can get that at joepolizzi.com and especially joepolizzi.com slash newsletter, which is where you'll learn about those things about the Corona book and all sorts of things that Joe is thinking about. And for me, if you're interested in all those wonderful things about content marketing, content strategy, and all the things we're thinking about, it's contentadvisory.net. Uh, and of course, hashtag us up like Adrian did, like all that, um, like Adam did on Twitter, hashtag this old marketing for story ideas. We need those story ideas. We want those story ideas. We love those story ideas. Of course, all the story ideas and links we talked about today will be in our show post. And in the meantime, until next we meet again, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. This old marketing.